is going to push restaurants into the suburbs. It's going to see more service charges. You're going to see higher menu prices. You're going to see fewer tipped employees. It's just a bad idea. And DC is providing that case study. Okay, ready? This is it. This is the show. What's with the pineapple? A brand new podcast from the Michigan Restaurant and Lodging Association. Pineapples don't grow in Michigan. No, not native to Michigan. Let me write that down. Putting a, a hospitality spin on what exactly is going on in Lansing. Shed some light on the industry specifically in Michigan. I think we're going to have some good guests. What is with the pineapple? What's with the industry? What's going on in Michigan? We can edit this if that's not right, right? We're back. And Emily, we are back where the Lions are one and oh, they have defeated the reigning Super Bowl champions on their field. Maybe this is a Lions podcast now. I'm all in. I don't have much to contribute, but I'm, uh, that's fine. I'm, I'm cool with that. Also, important to note for our audience, this is coming out next week. We're recording on a Thursday afternoon. Oh, so they might be one-on-one. Right. Hmm. So as of this recording, they are undefeated. The Lions, the hype, it's roaring. And I see what you did there. Yeah, thank you. Spent a lot of time on it. I don't want to be held responsible. Uh, that The level of excitement in the town right now is insane. In the town, like Detroit, or statewide, borderline? Borderline. Certainly in Detroit, in Metro Detroit. It's at a fever pitch already after 1-0. This is what happens when your franchise has won one game in like the entire Super Bowl era. So The uh, bar is low. The bar is low, and the bar is open, and they are going to be filled with Lions fans. So, um, you know, it's exciting stuff. Well, and for the first time in Ford Field's history, 21-year history, they sold out season tickets. This was before, I mean, this was a couple months ago that they ran this story, but the energy's there. Are you, you don't strike me as like a big football guy. Oh, I love football. Okay. When I rank the four team sports, it's, it's. I mean, I'm definitely a basketball guy. Right. We know that. I, our audience should know that. Hard, 100% hardcore. Well, the Pistons preview is coming. I know a lot of people, a lot of listeners been asking. Yeah, they when, have. When are we going to do the Pistons preview? It's coming. It will be intense. Also, a lot of optimism. I mean, optimism, relatively speaking. They're the worst team in the league <laughs> last year. So. A guarded optimism. Right. But a lot of upside. Anyway, but no, I love, I love football. It's just hard being a Lions fan. It always has been. Yeah. I've, I've watched. I was able to see at like age 10 or 11 the one playoff win that they've had, which gave hype, gave opportunity. They went to the NFC Championship and got crushed mm. by the Redskins, which, which was, are no longer the Redskins. Mm. Yeah, and that was a while ago. I mean, it was 1991. Sure. Bleeding into 1992. Yeah. I did not exist then <laughs> for those waiting for that joke. So you've never seen your entire lifetime. You, no Lions. Yeah, I've never been to a Lions game ever, actually, in my life. So we used to go every Thanksgiving. That's always a tradition. It's oh, nice. nice. It's been a Detroit tradition for a long, long, long time. And I. I went with my stepdad and, and his two sons for like eight years. They literally lost every single game, <laughs> every single one. Uh, some of them in just embarrassing and excruciating fashion, but it was always nice for the family tradition. So it's, it's nice to year. see. It's nice to see some optimism, some excitement uh, around for them. So what do you think that this means for Detroit's hospitality industry to tie it back in? You know, 
people are going to be going to more games, staying in hotels, go, you know, more people coming to the games means more business for our restaurants, uh, restaurants and hotels. Hot activity downtown. It'll be good. You know, the Tigers haven't really drew that much excitement this year. I've, I went to a couple of games and attendance was not robust. Mm-hmm. So this will be an exciting opportunity. I think people will come in large numbers from, from our area, but from other from other um, cities as well to watch this team as well. So it's exciting. I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves. I mean, this team, again, they were great last year on the home stretch. They didn't make the playoffs. We'd like to see that happen this year. If you remember when we started this podcast, one of our questions we asked all of our early guests was, yeah. of the four sports teams, which one is the is the most likely to make it to the playoffs? Because, you know, when we were talking about it, I think all four of them were in the basement. They were the worst team in their le- in respective leagues. And the Lions might be the first ones there. We'll see. That'd be pretty great. It's exciting. I uh, I want to keep an eye on, not to go too, too long on this topic on our sheet here, but um, I'm interested in seeing what sort of promotions restaurants and hotels come up with around this newfound excitement. Because I disagree with you. I think we should just go all in on the excitement, ride the wave while we can. Hopefully that's for many months. But, you know, like with Taylor Swift and Barbie, we saw all these promotions successful for restaurants. So I'm interested in what comes out. And quickly, did you see that bar in Wisconsin that ran the um, if the Jets lose, you win promotion? Did you see that? No, but I mean, oh. the fact, uh, listen, I, I'm i not I'm not out here to defend Aaron Rodgers. He, he's it's a, noted. a tough hang, but it's pretty rough. Jets fans who have had it almost as bad, not as bad as Lions fans, get, you talk about hype and the excitement that was built around the Jets season this year. They got a pretty good team. And for Aaron Rodgers to come in to be the capstone for them that they thought they were going to go all the way, and he made it four plays, and that might be the end of his career. He's 39, 40. And just ripped his Achilles. Yeah, it's uh, that's crazy. that's a long comeback if there is one at all. That's it's brutal. And Jets fans, I we hear you. We empathize with you. You can live vicariously for at least maybe another couple of weeks with the Lions. Join us. Well, the promotion was if the Jets lose, then the bar would pay for everyone's tab. So they were flooded with customers, and then the Jets won, and everyone had to pay their bills. <laughs> so it's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> been entertaining that team is still really good like the Jets may surprise people uh, because the team has so much talent but to have you know a four-time MVP come in to 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 anchor your team and then have them leave four plays in yeah it's tough yeah that's rough okay next on the sheet we have Domino's is upgrading its loyalty program Domino's Michigan-based company I like it I always tell me a little bit about it because I actually think Domino's has comparatively a pretty good loyalty program. I always feel like I'm hitting that free pizza mm. opportunity pretty quickly, and it is the go-to. I'm going to be solo parenting tomorrow. You can bet that the <laughs> Domino's app is going to come into play when I know I can get an order in in 20 seconds and have it be there in 25 minutes. Dad's doing dinner. <laughs> and supporting the industry. Very and, on brand for you. And supporting the industry. Yeah, so it's going to be even easier for you to get your points. So they are reducing how much customers need to spend to earn points and let their customers earn and redeem the points earlier. So this is an upgrade to their loyalty program to use as a key marketing tool. So customers get 10 points on every order of $5 or more rather than $10 or more. So they're lowering that threshold. And then they can redeem the points earlier, enabling them to get an order of Parm Bites. Shout out. Previous MRLA employee Kat Hansen, 20 ounce drink or or sorry, or a dipping cup. 
Mm. Just seems like a wide threshold of rewards to redeem there. With 20 points. What's your favorite dipping cup? Or two orders. (laughs) My favorite dipping cup is probably um, just the regular pizza sauce in the day part of lunchtime. Mm, Day part. Dipping cups and day parts. So loyalty rewards are the way with this much competition to keep people coming back with with repetition. What do you, what's your go-to? What like what what loyalty reward has you on lock? In the restaurant space, first of all, I just have to shout out Alta has an amazing rewards program, unrelated to the hospitality industry, but that's what immediately comes to mind. I don't even know what that is. You don't know what Alta is? Should I? You will you spell it? You're a person, so yeah. Well, I, uh, well, I don't even know what word you're saying. Alta Beauty, like the store. Oh, like U L T A. Yes. I thought you were saying A L T A. Oh. Did not know what you were referencing. <laughs> I was concerned. The beauty products. Got it. Yeah. So they, they have a great rewards program. Not a member. <laughs> they don't have food service to their credit. Yes. So, yeah, I think that uh, the recent one that's gotten me, Jimmy John's has a good one. And, you know, I have their app for that reason. Hungry Howie's has a pretty good one. Anything that forces. Oh, I worked at Hungry Howie's. Really? Oh, yeah. High school. It's great. I'm a I'm hungry. Howie's over Domino's, so it was interesting to hear you say that. Both Michigan companies. No, there's no need to choose. Go in with both. Yeah. All right. So the ones that grab me always Dunkin'. Oh. Geographically on the way to kid drop off. It's a oh, great way. Big B. Yeah. To get behavior the way you want in the morning when you're in charge of drop off, and they are great at reward. Like, oh, you guys want a you guys want a, a donut? This is a great way. To, let's get in the car. Uh, very useful and, and always the coffee, 24-7. And Panera does a pretty good job on their oh. rewards program. These are the things with, that come to mind when I think of, like, where am I going to go because I know I've got some sort of right, which is reward. the point, right? Uh, 100%. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of McDonald's, Subway. They've recently all redone their rewards program. So it's an interesting trend that I wanted to flag to discuss. I'm glad you did. Okay, lastly... Uh, September is National Food Safety Month, something that we promote heavily here at the association. The theme this year is cracking the code on food safety, and it aims to create a culture of food safety by breaking down the why behind all of the rules that the industry has to follow. We provide at michiganfoodsafety.com a ton of resources that release every week of in the month of September, different posters, information that you can pass on to your staff and different activities that you can do with them to test their knowledge as well. And uh, a lot of promotion around serve safe products. Small plug, MRLA members can get 20% off of all of their products. Yeah, and a good highlight for our members listening right now, I, I have seen media, especially in the Detroit area, the last com- couple months really go at restaurants pretty hard on the yeah. food safety side. We've seen restaurant inspections be highlighted in ways that don't always come across uh, in a flattering way for the industry. And our guys get very frustrated. And I can understand that your reputation is quickly uh, uh, can be quickly ruined. Uh, so take advantage of all of these resources. September is always the month that we highlight these things the most. But Emily re- referenced michiganfoodsafety.com. Absolutely go to that site. We have been managing and providing resources and guidance on that site for a generation now. Put it to use. Put it to your own use and benefit so your, your name doesn't show up on that list of concerning restaurant inspections. Well said. Okay, pineapple plaudits. I have one 
one on here today, a chef from Ann Arbor's Aventura, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, which is owned by a board member, Sava Farah, is going to compete in the World Paella Day Cup in Spain uh, next week, September 20th. So that's very exciting for them that they will be on the worldwide stage for that and representing Michigan in their authentic paella competition. I have offered Sava to do a trial run here at the MRLA headquarters. And I'm in. happy to, to sample the wares. I'm a huge paella fan of you. Yeah. It is not an easy thing. It's not like, hey, I'm just going to head home. What's a quick dinner I can throw together? Let's make some paella. Right. It's yeah. a, it is a craft. So it's that'll be an interesting competition. But best, best wishes to Chef Raul Cobb. Absolutely. Okay, we are on to For Fork's Sake, the government affairs segment. We're going to hit a couple things briefly because I think our interview is going to be so GA heavy about what's going on, GA government affairs. Thank you. I was just about to ask. For our listeners, uh, that we'll keep it brief here. So a couple quick Lansing-based issues. Post-Labor Day school start was going to be aggressively uh, intended to move when the legislature returned. Uh, We've had some good conversations and it has not moved, at least not yet. We are still, for those who haven't listened to previous episodes, we are still working uh, on an amendment that if we're going to repeal post-Labor Day school start, and to be fair, 80% of school districts at this point are operating with a waiver to start before Labor Day. Our argument is you can't replace the weather you get in August at any other time of year. So why don't we offer classes Tuesday through Thursday? Leave Monday and Friday for long weekends in August while the weather is still great. Start school and get that process started if, if, if that's what your district wants to do. Uh, and then in September, go for the full five days. So we're still pushing that. I think there's a lot of buy-in because it essentially is reasonable. Yeah, uh, sounds fair to me. Helps an industry that, that, you know, that thrives uh, seasonally. And that season is August. Yeah. So uh, we're having good conversations. Stay tuned on that. Quick suggestion for you. Hear me out. We also follow that schedule. At the MRLA. We do? No, that's my suggestion. Oh, <laughs> that we just do Tuesday through Thursday. Yeah. We do have Friday hours that I think, you know, that the, the hard shutdown at 3 o'clock on a Friday is pretty good. I'm hearing don't push your luck, Don. I mean, you know. <laughs> uh, it was worth a shot. Not bad. Not bad. Uh, other two big, uh, big issues, some, some hotel-specific issues. We haven't really been dealing with hotel tax issues in a real way uh, since since the merger five plus years ago. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we have two bills out there right now that would increase uh, excise taxes. One, is, which would uh, the county excise tax representative Phil Skaggs introduced House Bill 4931, which would permit qualifying counties to increase excise taxes on lodging uh, somewhere between 5 to 10%, sliding scale up to 10%. It's a big number. I was going to say it seems like it's a, a large very big percentage. Number. I think that was intended to impact just Kent County and to allow them to pursue some of the opportunities uh, that they are are looking to do to build out Grand Rapids in, in a positive way. We've seen the amphitheater. There's talk of a soccer stadium. There's talk of a few other big developments that will make Grand Rapids such a, a destination from people from across the country, hopefully across the world, that it's worth that investment. Uh, has written it, it impacts nine counties, so that's a bit of a challenge as we're as we're talking about it right now. But still, still going back and forth with members. There is a different one that would impact up to forty plus cities 
Uh, that would allow them a 2% excise tax, again, on hotel rooms only. And, and that one is in the discussion. The fact that both of these are happening simultaneously uh, can be a bit of a challenge. Is, is it going to be one? Is it going to be the other? Is it going to be a mix of the two? We're in the process of polling our members right now because we're a business trade association that often is going to be opposed to increased taxes on businesses. However, it's obviously when we're in the hotel space and it feels like there's a solid return on that investment, uh, an opportunity for the industry to bring in more guests to build amenities within that town that can really make it a destination, then that's great for the hotel industry, the tourism industry, and hotels will get behind that. We are in the process of pulling our members to understand that's where they're going to be on these uh, right now. So more to come. Yeah, I think that's important. No, as well, because we obviously represent the voice of the industry. We always say that, but we want to make sure we're in line with the voice that the industry actually wants. And that is a membership access point for our lodging members. You know, if you want your voice represented clearly and the power of the MRLA to do so, make sure your voice is heard to us through that polling, through membership. Yep. It's a you'll, slight membership plug. You'll okay. be seeing a lot more of that coming real soon. So, Can uh, I have this one clarifying question? Please do. Two. These are two separate bills. One is introduced and one has not been introduced yet. Is that correct? One is imminent. Okay. So it, it, it's ready. There is a draft. It should be introduced. Maybe by the time that people are hearing this, it will be introduced. Okay. Yep. And so stay tuned. A lot more to talk on that conversation. We're in the early stages right now, but we'll be we'll be keeping you updated in several different ways, including this podcast. Okay. That's a great way to segue to our guest because it's going to be a very government affairs heavy conversation with our guest today. Emily, why don't you why don't you read him in? Yeah. So we have Mike Watley, the vice president of state affairs and grassroots advocacy at the National Restaurant Association joining us today. Mike is Vice President of State Affairs and Grassroots Advocacy at the National Restaurant Association. In his role, he advocates on behalf of restaurants in all 50 states, oversees the restaurant industry's grassroots efforts at all levels of government, and serves as the staff executive of the Restaurant Advocacy Fund. Prior to working at the association, he worked in Congress for the House Oversight Committee in the United States House of Representatives. He is a graduate of Claremont McKenna College with honors in government and received his MBA from Georgetown University's School of Business. Michael Watley, welcome to What's With the Pineapple. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the time. Of all the times you and I have spoken over the years, this is the first time that I'm aware of that it's going to be recorded, which is probably for the best. That's a little scary, so uh, we'll see how this goes. (laughs) That you're aware of is a key point. (laughs) That I'm aware of. That's true. Mike, you are always monitoring and in, in many cases active on the scene where where there are threats to the restaurant industry across the country. <clears throat> You've been very helpful to this association and in the state of Michigan uh, when we've dealt with numerous issues in the past. Often it seems like the tip credit, which, uh, spoiler alert, we'll get to in a little bit uh, later in this conversation. But Talk to me right now about what's going on in California. That has been the news of the week. The National Restaurant Association has been actively engaged since the FAST Act, which I'm hoping you'll summarize for us, entered our lexicon just a couple of years ago and and the negotiation in, in California that seems to have come to fruition here. So bring us up to speed. Bring our listeners who might not always be following the FAST Act directly. What what happened in California? What happened this week, and and why this is this is ultimately great for restaurants uh, through the through the context of California. So 
So let's rewind back to 2021 when the Fast Recovery Act was first introduced in California. And it was this novel, uh, unprecedented and downright scary concept the legislature had of creating a fast food sector council of non-elected individuals who would have, to be honest, almost complete regulatory and binding regulatory authority over the quick service restaurant industry. The bill didn't pass the legislature in 2021, but was quickly reintroduced uh, last year in 2022. And despite a really monumental effort by the industry and the California Restaurant Association and, and everybody in California, it passed the legislature in an amended version last summer and Governor Gavin Newsom uh, signed it into law uh, Labor Day of last year. Now, what the amended version did was create a 10-member fast food sector council that could review and create workplace standards for employees of quick service restaurants. It allowed up to a $22 an hour minimum wage, which is a $7 increase for quick service restaurant workers in California. And it, it had a couple of guardrails, but not that many. They, they couldn't touch scheduling issues. They couldn't touch paid leave. But beyond that, they had an incredible regulatory authority. The industry quickly reacted and in about 90 days raised $22 million and collected over a million California voter signatures to use a process in California, the referendum process, that allows anyone to challenge a law and put it before voters before it can go into effect. So because of that effort, the FAST Act was frozen before it went into effect beginning part of this year, but the industry was looking at a, let's be honest, probably $200 million campaign for next year to make sure this bill was defeated at the ballot. Now, on top of that, there was also a bill which was originally in the FAST Act, but was ultimately removed in 2022, that would have created a joint employer standard for quick service restaurants. So basically, franchisors, the parent company, are on the hook for any violations by franchisees. Unprecedented, uh, would have really reduced the equity of franchisees and their businesses. That was taken out of the original FAST Act, but then reintroduced beginning part of this year and moving forward towards potential passage. And then one more wild card you had in California, this depression era concept from California called the Industrial Welfare Commission or the IWC that had been dormant for you know, two decades, hadn't been touched, was brought back to life in June. And this commission really could have impacted all restaurants. It had broad authority over restaurants, not just quick service restaurants, but all restaurants could have established very high minimum wages, scheduling mandates, you name it, they could have done it. So you had all these different factors, really four factors, the FAST Act, the Joint Employer for QSRs, the Industrial Welfare Commission, and then the need to spend upwards of $200 million in California to defeat the FAST Act via referendum next fall. As that, without the backdrop, the National Restaurant Association, the International Franchise Association, and other coalition partners were invited by members of uh, Governor Newsom's staff to, to have conversations about could some sort of deal be reached uh, between labor and restaurants that would you know, not be perfect for everyone, but might get us all to, to a, a better place. Uh, we had those conversations, and the deal was ultimately announced beginning part of this week. Now, what does the deal do? The deal 
Uh, it applies to quick service restaurants with 60 or more locations um, around the country. It creates a, a fast food sector council that has the ability to create wages for, for the industry, but it has clear guardrails and clear predictability for the industry. Initially, it can raise the minimum wage for quick service restaurants up to $22 an hour, effective April 1, which it's a big number. It is a, a very big number, and that's a realistic part of this. This is a negotiation where neither side got everything they wanted, and we met as close to the middle as we could. But it also modifies the council's ability in other ways and creates clear guardrails and clear protections for the industry. As a part of this, the FAST Act is entirely repealed. The joint employer bill goes away. And the IWC is the Industrial Welfare Commission is defunded and goes away. On our side, we have agreed to, if these things happen, withdraw the referendum for the FAST Act. So there's a lot to unpack there. This, we do believe, is a, is a good deal for the industry and is a good deal for operators, a good deal for employees. Uh, we think it, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but is much, much better than the alternative, those kind of four scary factors that were facing the industry. But this, is, this was a huge deal, to your point. It's it is a lot to unpack, and, and we put the we start this with the context of uh, I think I said for California this is a great deal, and I think it is from where the trajectory of this issue was going, the purchase that SEIU seems to have with the California state legislature, and to some degree with the governor's office. Uh, so to walk away having having nixed some of the most uh, daunting, concerning, terrifying things, the joint employer side, the IWC which we need to talk about in a little more detail because I feel like that is something that is brewing in in the city of Detroit and Michigan in similar fashion, has not moved at a quick pace, but could impact this industry in similar ways at some point in the city of Detroit is out there. I'm I'm interested, and I don't want to go too far down this road before at least saying, Mike, congratulations to you and all your colleagues. I mean, I think it's a big win. It's a, it's a huge negotiation in a challenging environment, to say the least, in California. Do you think that the win from this deal has SEIU and, and their cohort walking away from the concept of an IWC, of an independent industrial and an unelected board making these decisions? Or do you think that's in their repertoire at some point in other jurisdictions in the future? Well, first off, thank you for, for your kind words. This was a huge effort all around on the association's part, on the IFA's part, and lots of different folks who were involved with this. It was it was a lot of late nights were, just, were spent on this. So thank you for that. You know, it's an interesting question. I, I don't see it coming back in California, given the kind of what's happening with this deal. But, you know, if you, if you rewind back and look at what the SEIU said after the FAST Act first passed, it was portrayed as a model for other markets and wanting to, to bring it elsewhere. So I think you know, the industry has to be prepared and has to be ready to, to have this conversation in, in, in other markets. We didn't see this pop up really anywhere uh, this legislative year, but certainly, you know, watching closely to see to see what could happen. And it's really just critical to tell the industry story in terms of these are small independent operators. And, you know, uh, the MRLA team knows as well. And just telling the industry story and all the benefits we provide to, to communities across the country. What's the early re response you're hearing on the top line of $20 an hour and certainly just limited to quick service in California, but mixed mixed reviews? What's the what's the sense? 
Yeah, I would say it's a it's a big number, and folks are, are realizing that. And you know, there's no if ands or buts about it. It's a, it's a major number, and it will have implications for the industry. It will be challenging for a lot of operators. But what we keep on coming back to is, it's better than the alternative. The alternative was no guardrails, no predictability, really no ability to know what was coming next. I mean, the, the fast act, yes, it had some guardrails. It said $22 an hour, which keep in mind is higher than 20. It, it had some CPI guardrails in there, but the IWC really didn't have any guardrails. So you could have looked at a much higher minimum wage. So yes, you know, there is concern. It will have an impact on, on operators, but it is a lot better than the alternative would have been. Well, I think it's certainly going to expedite the conversations we've had before uh, on this podcast of of uh, tech infusing itself into this industry at a pretty rapid pace. And, and AI, you're going to see it in California probably faster uh, to a greater degree than you're going to see it uh, anywhere else in the country. So you'll, you'll get a test case from many brands, I would assume, trying to find ways to mitigate wages that are unsustainable for them to stay open and, and finding ways to do to do more business with fewer employees in the site. So that's something to watch in California as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we'll, we'll see what's going to happen. There's lots. It's an election year next year. So lots of conversations are going to be happening uh, around the country. But we'll be there working with our, our partners like you to tell the industry story. 100%. Well, let's transition to the Midwest now. You'd like to say the safer waters of, of, of the Great Lakes region, but maybe not. In Chicago right now, a, a hot issue of, of whether or not the city, and, and, and I stress the city of Chicago, not the state of Illinois, uh, seeking to eliminate the tip credit in, in, in that city, and that is uh, really underway. And I have some friends living in, in, in Chicago, and they report seeing signs everywhere that it is very much in the public environment uh, around there on both sides of the issue. Why don't you give us a breakdown of uh, what's going on in Chicago and, and how we got here so quickly uh, after the election of their most recent mayor? Yeah, so great question. Uh, the current mayor, uh, Mayor Johnson, you know, largely campaigned on the one fair wage issue and eliminating the tip credit. Legislation was introduced this summer that would have or would eliminate the tip credit in Chicago. And it's a big challenge. And we've been out there and talking about how this is a bad idea in Chicago. And not to divert us from Chicago for a second, but part of our main argument here is, look, DC just did this. And what's happening in DC is really problematic. And so Chicago should not follow DC's path. You know, you've talked with your listeners before, I'm sure, and many of your listeners know about what's happened in DC because DC has been at the forefront of the tip credit for the past, gosh, almost decade at this point. But last year, as part of Initiative 82, voters in D.C. voted to eliminate the TIP credit. The city council said we will not overturn this. It will go into effect. So TIP credit elimination began to phase in in Washington, D.C. earlier this year. It phases in over a couple of years. But D.C. is the first jurisdiction in over 20 years to eliminate the TIP credit. So that's a big deal. And what's happening in D.C. has clear implications for other markets, and we truly think it's a cautionary tale. Uh, two things I want to highlight in DC before moving back to Chicago, you know, operator research. There was a research done a couple of months ago asking operators in DC how they were planning on responding to tip credit elimination. 70% said implementing service charges. I can tell you as someone who works in DC and dines out in DC a lot, 
it is very difficult to go anywhere in D.C. and not get a service charge. 85% were saying it would decrease the number of tipped employees. And 46%, and this is critical for a place like D.C. that's not landlocked, say they will open future locations in the suburbs. That's operators. Let's look at customers for a second. We just debuted this research in D.C. These are frequent diners in D.C., which means they have dined out in D.C. in the last three months. So these are your best and most frequent customers. When asked about the higher menu prices they are seeing or the service charges they are seeing, frequent D.C. diners say they are 40% less likely to eat out in D.C., 52% are eating at home more. And I think this is the scariest one. One in three say they are now eating out in the suburbs more. You look at DC, it has Virginia right there, Maryland right there. It's not hard to pivot your dining dollars outside of the city. Chicago is very similar. And that's part of the argument we've been making. The city of Chicago, if it goes and does this, is going to push restaurants into the suburbs. It's going to see more service charges. You're going to see higher menu prices. You're going to see fewer tipped employees. It's just a bad idea. And DC is providing that case study. We're working with the Illinois Restaurant Association on this. We jointly ran a full page ad in the Chicago Tribune last Sunday that uh, talked about this and really urged readers to contact the city council and say, hey, this is a bad idea. We don't support this. It's an uphill battle in Chicago. It's an uphill advocacy engagement, but we're continuing to, to push and push hard and we'll see what's happen what, what happens. Next week could be a pivotal week with a key committee hearing happening in Chicago, likely next Wednesday. Yeah, so much of this is so predictable. Yeah, it, it used, you, as if it wasn't anticipated what was going to happen in D.C. And D.C., by the way, not a typical jurisdiction. I don't know if there's any city maybe in the world that spends other people's money in, in the dining sector as, as Washington, D.C. does. Uh, so for it to be a struggle already out of the gate in, in that city where you think there'd be some more uh, a more fungible response, just because, again, it's, it's a lot of visitors, a lot of other people's money, and and, and you'd be able to uh, absorb that that hit a little bit better. That there's been some struggles out of the gate, as you and I know what what was going to happen. We said the same thing here in Michigan. We, our, our listeners might not know about the Fast Act uh, at the very front of their mind all the time, but the fact that we've had attempts to eliminate the tip credit in 2014, 2018, 2022, and a discussion we're still having. Uh, right now, as the Supreme Court considers whether or not to eliminate the tip credit based on uh, some activity the legislature did in 2018. We're having that discussion again right now with the legislature. So what's happening in Chicago is very much, it will very much impact discussions that we are having with elected officials here. So give me a sense of the timeline and where you think this might play out over the next couple months. I think Chicago, their advocates are trying to move the bill quickly. Our hope is at the very least council will slow down and have a, a longer conversation about this, but they're looking to do it October. So lots of quick movement here. And I think your your, your point about Michigan or even just a, a statewide tip credit elimination is critical. DC is, you know, it's a, a lot of DC diners are affluent. There are a lot of lots of expense accounts in DC. DC dining is expensive to begin with. And if the customers are having that reaction here in DC in a very urban 
a wealthy dining market, it's really hard to imagine what could happen um, in a statewide ballot initiative or a statewide tip credit elimination where, sure, you're going to have one impact in downtown urban corridors, but you're going to have a totally different impact in the suburbs and in more rural areas. We just don't know. Anyone who's saying, oh, you know, we know this will happen and it'll be fine, there's no example to point to. So it's really critical we study D.C., figure out what's happening, and then tell that story as a cautionary tale um, across the country. 100%. Our polling uh, showed last year we, we lose forty to 60,000 server jobs almost immediately. One in six full-service restaurants will shut down completely. Everyone's raising menu prices after two years of heavy menu price increases out of necessity. So not great for the industry, not great for Michigan's economy overall. Which, by the way, in the next few hours, I suppose uh, we'll know this definitively since this is this is a Thursday uh, and it'll air next week early. We may be under strike with right. the UAW, which yeah. is going to impact this state yeah. more than anyone else. You want to talk about a one-two punch of economic disaster for the state of Michigan. That's what may be at, at the helm here for Michigan. So we're counting on you, Chicago. Oh, I can't believe I had to say that. <laughs> Yeah, and our population is probably not going to grow anytime soon if there's no jobs in the hospitality industry because of this, and it's too expensive to uh, enjoy Pure Michigan. So um, I have a quick question, uh, and I don't know if you have an answer to this, but something that we talk about a lot in Michigan over the last, you know, every time we go through this back in 2018, 2020, 2022, is the server sentiment, at least in Michigan, is we don't want this. Stop doing this. Is that sentiment true in D.C. and Chicago based on any of the data that you have seen? Or what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. What we're hearing in, in D.C. Is, con- is a lot of concern over what's happening in terms of server wages and server jobs. But in Chicago, starting to hear more and more as tipped employees are aware of this measure of why, why is this happening? We don't want this. Who's pushing this? And part of our challenge is this legislation moving so quickly, there hasn't been enough time to really educate servers as much as we would like to. And so a lot of them are kind of coming into this late going, whoa, 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 what's happening? Why are you doing this? But it's critical for us as an industry to really start spreading the message. You know, I've been in a couple other markets recently where this topic is on the horizon. And and my point is, you know, have those conversations now. Start talking about what's happening in D.C. now so that before this shows up on your doorstep, you really, you know, have operators who are educated on it, have servers who are educated on it hopefully have media that's educated on it, and perhaps most importantly for legislative fights, have legislators who are educated on this topic, because at times it's, it's confusing. And we have a good story to tell, but it's a story that, that sometimes takes a, a sentence or two to tell versus you know just being a real quick slogan. Right. And we don't want to have to tell that story after something horrible has been implemented. So, yeah. Exactly. Well. Michigan knows that we're, we're at the epicenter of this on a statewide level uh, yet again and setting example yet again for where this could go next. I know One Fair Wage, often funded by SEIU, by the way, as well, but, uh, you know, has committed $25 million to this this fight nationally. And so what I think happens in, in, in Chicago and the state of Michigan going forward is going to impact how successful efforts are going to be elsewhere. So... Michael, it seems like you're going to be pretty busy on this issue for the next several months, if not several several years. Are you ready? Are you taking in proper nourishment for this long battle? <laughs> yeah, you know, absolutely. It's it's, a, it's an industry wide effort, and I think it's 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 the right cause and the right and it's it's a good cause because really nobody wants this. You look at customers in D.C. they don't want this. Operators in D.C. they don't want this. 
tipped employees don't want this. It's really just making sure that we're telling the story right of a system that works currently for really everyone involved and being proud to tell that story. We have a great record here. And so just making sure that everyone understands how the system works, why it works for everyone, and then ultimately why it should be preserved across the country. Well, Mike, you are second to none on this issue in the in the entire country and been an advocate and a champion for a long time. I thank you for everything you've done. You and I are going to continue to be working together on this issue for a long time to come. But until then, at least thanks for being a guest on What's With the Pineapple podcast. Oh, damn oh, it. I forgot. Yeah. yeah. I forgot. You're going to have to, we're going to have to edit the whole damn part because now you got to do the lightning round. Yeah, I was waiting for it. I almost, I tried to help you. I tried to get you out early and now Emily's going to hit you hard with a bunch of questions you have, you are not prepared for. And to let oh, the yeah. audience, let the audience in on a secret, we normally send these questions ahead of time and we didn't. So you are completely unprepared for what these <laughs> questions might be, which may, will make it all the better. All right. We'll just hit a couple of them, three or four, and we'll get you out of here. Ready? I'm ready. All right. What is the last show that you streamed? Last show that I streamed was actually The Bear. Yes. So topical. <laughs> Great. We did an entire episode on the bear and it's probably come up three or four times since. Excellent. Did you did you enjoy it? I did. I very much enjoyed it. I, I think I you know, the two seasons were so different, but it's hard to know which one I like better. But the ending, we am like a spoiler, you know, we didn't love the ending, but overall like the show. Interesting. It was heavy. Also, I think I think enough time has passed where spoiler spoilers don't exist anymore. All right. What is the last song that you listened to? It was on the airplane yesterday. It's embarrassing, but uh, party in the USA. (laughs) That's a great song. (laughs) It's a great song. It's 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 college for me. It's a great song. Nice. Well, Miley's, you know, she's all seasons. It's beautiful. Yeah. She just she just came out with a new song a couple weeks ago called used to be young anyway emily feels that (laughs) (laughs) she also turned 30 this year so Um, all right what is your go-to cocktail after a long day of saving the restaurant industry i'm gonna pivot on that one i'm a huge wine drinker i I love i love wine especially in the summer gonna go with a little rosé you know winter i'm loving uh kind of a barbera but cocktail i go margarita and do you get all those to go (laughs) conveniently at your own home of course. I, 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 I do from time to time make sure that I uh, utilize our great Virginia cocktails to go laws and, and pick up one. Beautiful. Nice. nice plug. Nice. All right. Okay. Last one I'm going to hit you with is what is your favorite destination or city in Michigan? Favorite destination or city? I love Grand Rapids. I love checking out some of Jeff Lobdell's restaurants. He has so many different concepts. I always enjoy going and checking them out. Beautiful city. I've been. I was there with Justin earlier this year, but always, always enjoy going there. Well played. You don't. You don't miss the talking points. <laughs> All right. Real last question. Real last question, Mike. Will the Detroit Lions? Long-suffering Detroit Lions make the playoffs this year. I am also a long-suffering NFL fan, uh, perhaps a team that has had a more disappointing pass than the Lions, the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars are <laughs> my NFL team. Die-hard fan. Uh, my growing-up bedroom wall at my parents' house is Jaguars Teal. So huge wow. fan, had a big win, had a big win last week. We're feeling good, but... I don't know. I've got a couple of your Lions players on my fantasy team, so I'm hoping for a good season. Jacksonville looks ascendant as well. That's a, that's a good answer. 
I did, I did not have Jaguars picked out for you whatsoever. Maybe maybe the Jets when you said rough fan base, but uh, Jaguars, I, that's going to be exciting. One of those two teams is definitely making the playoffs this year, maybe both. Oh, yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, now I think I can officially say, Mike Watley, thanks for joining us on What's With the Pineapple podcast. Thanks for having me. Thank you.